0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, there's this one statistic that uh, necessarily you don't want to be remembered for as an NFL quarterback, and that's how many sacks that you have taken uh, in your career. And and you know we like the you know we like the passing yards, the TDs thrown, but sacks. That's not something that you'd like to be known for. And I was surprised as I was researching this. Uh, the NFL quarterbacks who took the most sacks in the NFL. I thought for sure over the last 20 years, that would have been somebody, some quarterback with the Buffalo Bills. I thought, sure, in there after Jim Kelly, there'd be somebody there. But I was, I was really um, surprised. So I, I, got, I, I looked up the top two NFL quarterbacks that took the most sacks, and coming in second was this guy right here. Remember that, John Elway? Uh, John Elway was just an incredible quarterback. He took 515 sacks in his NFL career and uh, just incredible football players in the Hall of Fame. He won two Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos. Coming in first place was this guy, Brett Farb, and uh, he was sacked 525 times. In fact, uh, Brett is in the in the Football Hall of Fame. And, and he's won one Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. And I was thinking about this for a moment. Think about it for just a moment. 525 times, most likely being sacked by someone who is well over 300 pounds. Um, you know, how do you continually get up from that? And, and, and these two weren't uh, one of the best quarterbacks for nothing. They learned how to take a hit. And everyone knows... That a quarterback needs to know how to take a hit. But here's the question. Here's the question. The question, it comes down to being prepared and being ready and having the correct expectations that you are going to get hit. And one of the things about these two quarterbacks, because they were tough quarterbacks, is that they learned how to get back up. Something that every single one of us should know in life is we need to know how to take a hit. How many of you in your life you have ever taken a hit in your life? Something that blindsided you. It, you, you. it just came out of nowhere and you took this hit and you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's a sudden job loss. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's the, uh, a, a death or a spouse leaves. Uh, maybe consequences from bad choices that you've made in your life. And one of the joys that I have as a pastor is seeing how someone overcomes some type of tragedy within their life i I want you to know that our god is all about comebacks he if 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 we don't have that hope that god can take my brokenness and use it for his glory then there's really no sense to come to church and i really believe that God can set you up for a comeback. And I, I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you're in this desert experience in your life right now. Maybe there's something that has happened in your life years ago that is just dragging you down, and it's something that weighs on your mind. Maybe it was a bad choice that you made. Maybe it was something that someone did to you. And that thing has been, you've been chained to that thing. And I just want you to know that God can take those things in our lives, and he can use them for his purposes and his glory. And that's one of the joys I get as, as a pastor, seeing people overcome these things. How do we deal with death or marriage issues or wrong choices or broken dreams? It's, it's, it's when you see them and you come out of them and you see the other side and how God can use them. It's an incredible thing. So how do we come back from these difficult blows? Well, over the summer we've been looking at in-depth looking at the life of David and David was the king of Israel some 1000 uh, years before uh Christ stepped on the foot of this earth and it was through the line of David that we would see the Messiah Jesus come from David was actually known as a man after God's own heart and 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 as we know about David's life and, and David's life and we dug into David's life we know that he made a lot of mistakes he wasn't perfect But yet the word of God tells us in Acts 13 is is Paul, the apostle Paul is looking back and talking about David. He talks about David being this man after God's own heart. And so David had a lot of these ups and downs, but yet he was compassionate. He knew how to forgive. There's not a place that we see in the word of God when David was approached with his waywardness that he didn't recognize his sin before God and make that right before the Lord. And that's what I want to dig into today. How do we come back from these things in our life, these things that may blindside us or the bad choices that we make? See, David had all these ups and downs, but David knew how to forgive and he understood repentance before the Lord. And those are the things I want to look at today, because I think these are the things that we struggle with. See, some of these things maybe are our own doing. Maybe some of these things are from other people, what they've done to us. And maybe, maybe it's just sometimes life stinks and life does, just doesn't make sense. Why did this thing happen to me? And I believe these, all three things happened to David in his life. And all these three things can happen in our life. It's the same for us. So let me give you a statement to lay a foundation for today. Because if we don't believe this, then, then we'll have little hope for today. Are you ready? Here, here's this first statement. God can redeem your brokenness. God can and will redeem your brokenness. And so I want to look into how David was restored. At first we understood because as we talked about last week with his affair with Bathsheba uh, and then having obviously Bathsheba's wife killed, David's breaking all these commandments before the Lord. We see all these things. And David is now approached about his waywardness. He tried to cover his sin. He he tried to cover his shame of his sin. And then God sends this prophet Nathan to David to confront him. God is not going to let David off the hook here. God's not going to let David think that, okay, just because I married her and and nobody really knows about it except for her, and and I kind of hit all these things and David begins to justify his life. God is not going to let David off the hook for this reason because God loves David. And I think for sometimes in our life, I think the issue is when we have to deal with pain and the choices that we make, the most loving thing God can ever do to us is confront us in those things. And I know, I know our choices And the the wrong things we've done sometimes are very painful. And we want to just brush them under the carpet. We just want to say, well, I don't have to deal with it. And the longer I don't have to deal with it, maybe, you know, as time goes on, I'll kind of forget about it. And then something pops up or something reminds you. And you know you haven't dealt with it. And it's this sore spot. It's this open wound in your life that has not healed. The most loving thing God will ever do with you is deal with you with your waywardness. See, it's the love of God that leads us to this repentance. He cares about us. He doesn't want to leave you in this state because he knows how that can rip apart our fellowship with God and our oneness with him. And God loved David and God wanted to have that relationship with David and God desires to have a relationship with you. And so I want to look at how David was restored. And so we know at first he hid and covered his shame and then God sends this prophet Nathan. And we can see this story with David in second in, in Samuel chapter 12. And let me just give you the, let me just give you the gist of the story here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Here's the gist of the story. Uh, Nathan comes up to him and he tells David the story. And he says, David, let, let me tell you a story and let me see how you react to this. You've got two men. You've got a rich man. He's got a whole flock of sheep. And you got this one guy. He just has one sheep, one lamb. And it's kind of the family pet. They named him Wooly. Wooly the sheep. Now, I add that in. And they, they, they just, they loved Wooly, right? How many, how many of you have got crazy names for your pets, right? You know, I like to like, we have a dog and, and our dog's name is Tulip, you know, and our dog before that was named Mopsy and our dog before that was named Cupid, you know, and it's, these are tough dog, right? Like, why don't we name it Rocky? You know, can we get, give it a, a, know, a more masculine name? So, you know, so they've got this, they've got this one sheep, it's the family pet and, and it's called Wooly. And so they got little Wooly and Wooly goes everywhere with the family and, Woolies in the house and so the rich man has these friends that come over and out of hospitality he has to go and kill one of his lambs to 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 create this feast for his guests. So instead of going Nathan says to David instead of going to his huge flock he goes and he gets Wooly and he kills Wooly. And so this and so David hearing this story is just He's fuming, steam's coming out of his ears, and he goes, oh, this is an atrocity. How could this ever happen? This, this man needs to be brought to justice. And so all of a sudden, as David is furious and thinking this is a true story, he wants this man killed, Nathan looks at David and said, you are this man. You took what wasn't yours. And so David now is confronted through the prophet nathan about his sin and david has to deal with it so how does david deal with it and here's what i want to do i want to look at this message on different levels i want to look at how we deal with our sin and the wrong choices that we've made and just how do we deal with a setback how do we deal with a failure How do we deal when there are things that we don't expect in our life that happen? how do we deal with these things? Because these are the areas of our lives that God is going to cause you to grow the most. And he wants you to be mature in your walk with him. And he, he allows these situations to happen in our lives so that we can grow and know him in, in, in a, in a greater way. And so what David does is I want to, I want to grab a couple things from the story. What David does is he, he, what he does is he actually takes ownership of his sin. There's the first step. It's taking ownership of your sin. Now, Let me be honest with you this morning. David does, as we read in God's word, we'll read in just a moment. David does take ownership of the sin, but but let's be honest. Don't we know we live in a no-fault society? It's, it's never my fault. It's, it's always the other person. It's the other driver. It's, it's my boss. It's it's my neighbors, it's my relatives, it's always everybody's fault. We, we don't, and, and, and we don't even have to teach this to our kids, right? You, you, have you ever tried to get your kids to own up to something? Like, who spilled the milk? Oh, the boogeyman did, or the dog knocked it over, or whatever. It's always some, or, or my sister did, or my brother did it. Um, you know, I'm so glad we outgrow this as adults. Aren't you glad? I'm just so glad we just outgrow this as adults um have you ever get have you ever tried to get someone to to own up to something that they didn't do right or they didn't fix or something wasn't correct on an order and, and trying to get them to admit um this can be very frustrating this happened to me uh a couple years ago i i had a flat tire and i had a nail or something in the tire so i i went to go get it fixed and um the mechanic came back to me and he said, um, listen, I can't, I can't repair your tire. He goes, I'm going to be real honest with you. He goes, when I was trying to fix it, I just took too much off the tire. And now I can't, I can't get enough, whatever he was doing to patch it or or whatever. And he goes, I'm going to have to talk to my, my manager about this. So I said, "What, man, thanks for being on. Because he could have easily said... You know, not my fault. You know, you got to get a new tire and blah, blah, blah. So I said, oh, so he, so he talks to this manager. The manager comes back and says, well, you know, your tire's got a little bit of age on it. Probably another year or so you're going to have to get a new tire. So we're going to have to ask you to buy a new tire. I said, uh-uh. I am buying a new tire. I said, your, your mechanic just admitted to me that he made the mistake. And, did, and so we're going back and forth with the manager, and the, she, you know, they're, they're trying to get me to buy a new tire. I said, I'm not going to buy a new tire. This was the mistake, and I think that you need to compensate for the mistake that was made here. So finally, um, you know, she said, well, maybe it wasn't his fault all the way, or maybe it was because of the tire. You know, just trying not to own up for the mistake they made. So finally, the manager said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for your new tire. So I, took, I, said, I told the manager, I said, can you come here a minute? Can I just talk to you alone? I said, you need to commend your mechanic for doing the right thing, they could have easily bamboozled me and not own up. I said, "That's the kind of employee as I'm sticking my finger in their foot fi- No, I'm. T- I wasn't doing that. You know, I said, "That's the kind of employee that you want." Now, Jesus loves you. Okay, no, I'm just owning up to what we have done wrong. And so, what David does, he owns up to this as he's confronted. So. I want to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. You've got your Bibles. You can turn there with me. You can look up at the screens. And I want you to see what David does. Because let's be honest with ourselves. We are no different at times. It's, it's, it's hard for us to own up to our mistakes. And I want you to listen to David's words to Nathan in 2 Samuel. We'll, we'll, we're going to jump around into Psalms. And we're going to jump around into a bunch of scriptures here of, of how David uh, works through this confrontation and, uh, with Nathan and how um, he owns up to uh, what he had um, done with Bathsheba and the sin that he committed before the Lord. And, and so 2 Samuel is recorded here, and this is what David says to Nathan. He said, I have sinned against who? Ultimately against the Lord. I want. Let me pause there. All our sin is ultimately against who? It's against the Lord. And so he said, ultimately, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin and you shall not die. Now we know the consequences of this child that was born to Bathsheba would eventually die. And we're going to look at the pain that David went through, through that because of the consequences. How many know that there are consequences to the actions that we make? But praise be to God through his grace and mercy, he can restore us. Even through the wrong choices that we've made In our lives. So David could have come up with a bunch of excuses, but you know what he does here? He just owns it. He just says, Yeah, I I messed up. I sinned against the Lord. That's the step in reconciliation before God is when we own our part. When we say, God, this is what I've done. It's not this person's fault. It's not I, I did this. I need to own up to this. And reconciliation, I've seen this over and over again, can happen when we own our part of the pie, when we take responsibility for what we've done wrong. Even if it's a small part, David completely owns it. Now, I love Psalm 51 because David writes this Psalm in response to being confronted by Nathan with his sin with Bathsheba, the adultery that he committed with Bathsheba. And so what he does is he writes this because he understands that his sin has alienated him from God and God is reaching out to him and God confronts David because he loves David and he wants to have this close relationship with David. Let me, listen, God created you because he wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. I want to know the God of all creation. And if we don't understand this principle, if we don't have this correct understanding of a Christian worldview, then we're going to make a lot of mistakes for our behavior. And here's, here's the thing I would just you, you have to be able to answer these three questions in your life if you're going to have an understanding of this life. Because what I see in our world today is everybody's making their own view of life and their choices and all the things they've done wrong. But you have to be able to answer these three questions. You know, what's the origin of life? Who created life? And we understand through the word of God, through the book of Genesis, that God created us, that God created the heavens and the earth. So we know that there's a creator. We know that there's a God. It's not us ruling it. It's God sovereignly ruling over the world. Then we have to understand why are we in the mess that we're in today? Why is there so much evil and immorality in the world today? It's because of sin. And Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God and sin entered the world and every single one of us are tainted with it and we're born with sin. And the third question we need to ask ourselves is, how do we fix it? Is it more education? Is it I just have to become a better person? Is it just I have to be more moral? Is this how you fix it? No, the only way to fix it is God sent his son to die for our sins jesus is the answer and so by god confronting us with our waywardness he's showing us that i want to have a correct relationship with you and i want you to live your life how i intended you to to live it and so when we come into that correct relationship with god we begin to live our lives the way god intended us to live that doesn't mean we're never going to struggle with sin or temptation, but what it does mean is I now understand the only way that I can fix myself is through Christ. I can't fix myself. I was talking to a guy not too long ago, and he said, well, pastor, I pray every night. You know, I just, I, I, I'm just, I'm not religious. I go, well, good, I'm not either. Because goes, wait a minute, you're a pastor. I said, Jesus didn't come to create another religion and give us more sets of rules to follow. Okay, so, so, in fact, he came against those that were religious and following their own rules and this, you got to do this, that, blah, 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 blah. I go, so, and he goes, well, okay. Well, he, uh, he goes, well, I'm a good person. I said, well, okay, well, on what scale? You know, where, where are you, where, where is the scale compared to Hitler, compared to Mother Teresa? Well, where's the scale here? He goes, well, geez, that's a really good question. I, I, I don't know. So I go, well, how do you know for sure that you're going to get to heaven? He goes, I guess I really don't know. I go, do you want to know? He goes, yeah, but you should know because you're a good person. I said, no, I'm not. There's so many times that I do, I think wrong things. I said, the only one that's good is Jesus. So I said, I want you to think of your life this way, that you're in an ocean and you're in the middle of the ocean. You're thousands of miles from shore. You've got no way of reaching the shore on your own. And the only thing that's going to keep you afloat is a life preserver. That's it. I go, that life preserver is Jesus. I'm clinging on to Jesus and his grace and his love. That's all I have. Jesus came to do everything for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Listen, that's the relationship that God wants to have with you today through his son, Jesus, to restore the brokenness. And some of you are sitting here today and you are just broken. Life has just beat you up. And you've made wrong choices and you have guilt and shame because of that. And God says, listen, I want to restore you from all that. That's why he sent Jesus to restore back to us a right relationship that we can have with our creator. I began that journey when I was 16 years old and I've never looked back. I have no regrets for giving my life to Christ and bowing to his lordship i've made a lot of mistakes in my life but i do not regret ever one moment giving my life to christ he's completely transformed my thinking and the way i used to think at 16 years old i don't know what you think about but you just he transformed all that and that's what he desires to have you and that's what he desired to have with david so David could have come up with a bunch of excuses, but David completely owns it. Look, look at Psalm 53.1. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51. We'll look up at the screen too. But I want you to look there because I want to jump around here in Psalm 51.3 because here's what David does. Listen to David's heart. In Psalm 51.3, David says, For I know my transgressions and, I, and my sin is what? It's always before me. For I know, my, I, I know what I did wrong, and, and I know that sin is, is, is always before me. I kind of look at that verse this way, like if I know that the proclivity of my heart is to default to the wayward thing and not the godly thing, because that's the proclivity of our heart. That's the default of our heart is not to turn to the godly thing. It's always to go the other way. So if, if I know that my sin is always before me, guess guess where, that, guess where my position becomes now? It humbles me. It humbles me before God that I can't be righteous before you in my own works. The only way I can be righteous is through Christ. And so what it does is it, it humbles me knowing that the proclivity of my heart is to sin. It's always before me. And that guards my heart to keep me in step with Christ and his strength in my life, so I don't, I, don't, I don't go off the waywardness or get too haughty in my own spirit thinking that can never happen to me. So David owns it. So it's this confession of sin. There, there's the next thing David does. He actually confesses his sin. Do you think God already knew David's sin? Of course. But there's something about confession of our sin that breaks the power of it over our life. So he confesses it to the Lord, and it breaks the power off his life. In Psalm 51, 1 and 2, he says this to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? Your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from all my sin. So basically what David is doing, he's repenting before the Lord. Now, here's the question. What is the difference between really understanding repentance and turning away from the thing and just just being sorry because you got caught? How do we? How do we know David wasn't just sorry, like, oh, man, I got caught. Nathan caught me, so now that I'm caught, yeah, I, got, I guess I got to admit my waywardness. How many? How many of you struggle with admitting that 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 you were wrong? You know, have you ever been in that conversation with your spouse or somebody else, and you know you're wrong, and you had to say, you know, I, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was, I was like Fonzie. I was, we struggle with that because you got to take owner You got to take ownership of it. So how, how many of you admit that it's very difficult for you to admit that you're wrong? I'm feeling a lot of denial in here right now. Oh. <laughs> feeling it. Just, it's, 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 I feel it. See, David understood the difference. And we can see this in the way he reacted after David confronted him. And we can see this in the way he these words that he wrote in Psalm 51. Look at at verse 10 and 13 in Psalm 51. This is what David wants now. He just didn't see. sorry, here's what he says. He takes a step forward knowing that God is the only one that can purify his heart again. So what does he say? He says, create in me what? A pure heart oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. So what does David do? David confesses it. He needs God's healing. He wants his relationship to be restored. His thinking has now changed. And David wants to be an example to others of what it means to come back to the Lord and have a right relationship. So let's understand the difference between regret and just feeling regret over something. And then true repentance before the Lord so that this correct relationship is restored That which was broken because of my waywardness is now restored. Because many times we're only sorry because we get caught. This wasn't the case with David. And so we say we're sorry just to move on and get past with it. But there's no change. See, in repentance before the Lord, it's not just saying you're sorry. But there's a change that happens. And for David, there was a change. It went much deeper than just feeling sorry. So regret is only feeling sorry for being caught. But repentance is this. A true biblical definition of repentance is actually a change of mind which results in a change of behavior. There's a change of mind. I was thinking this, but this was a wrong way of thinking. God has corrected my thinking. God has restored my relationship. And all of a sudden, there's a, a change of behavior. Now, Here's the other thing that David did that I think we need to understand. And I think this is where we need to, 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 to take this step in our lives, that David accepted the consequences of his actions. There was discipline that was involved and we may repent, which, which we need to do. However, there are consequences to our sin and we need to realize that too. How many know that's hard? That's hard to deal with the consequences of our action. And, and this is one thing we need to always ask ourselves. What are the consequences? Because I will have to live with my choices. And I know every good parent wants their children to understand this, but we as adults need to understand this also. Broken trust in a marriage is not fixed overnight. It will take time to heal and work through the mistrust. The consequences of our actions, um, we need to understand, do not have to define our future. And so this is, this is a step we need to, need to take because I think through denial and through not confessing our sin, we think somehow it's going to go away, but it won't. I, I think when we when we confess it and we own it and we repent of it, and we ask God to change our hearts and our lives and renew our relationship with him. See, this is, that's the thing that I missed when I first came to Christ as a 16 year old. I, I always thought, Growing up, that if you were just a good person and you didn't smoke, chew, or go with girls that do, you were good. You were like, I'm set, okay? I'm I'm good with this. Um, But then I had to understand that when I heard the message of the gospel being preached about what Jesus came to do, that he just didn't come to make me a better person. He didn't come to give us more rules, but he actually came to deal with our greatest problem, and that was our sin, that he came to become a substitute on the cross for my sin. All of a sudden, I stopped comparing my life to others, and I began to compare my life to Christ. And this is what I realized. Here was my big, everybody has an aha moment, right? Here was my aha moment. I fell short. Because I could sit there and say, well, my life's pretty good. I don't smoke. I do not get drunk. I'm a, I'm a good kid. I'm on the honor roll. I'm on the swim team. I'm all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a good kid. And I was comparing myself to other people. And many times when, when my parents would bring me to church and I would hear testimonies of how God did these great miraculous things in people's life, ex-addicts and so on and so forth that would just come to Christ and, and, and God would renew them. And I'm like, well, that's good for them because they need Jesus. They need that. But I don't. I, I'm good. And all of a sudden, when I heard the gospel being preached and Jesus's life and what he came to do and how he became a substitute for us on the cross to die for our sin, all of a sudden I began to realize that my sin stinks just as much as everybody else's. then I realized that I I fell short. That we all fall short of God's perfection, of his glory. And that we need a savior. And I realized I needed a savior. And that's when Jesus completely changed my life. When I came to that confession of faith. That I needed Jesus in my life. See, this is where the hope of Christ comes in. Because you have to let God redeem your past. When you get to that point where you say, God, please redeem my past, the struggles you have to overcome in your life, God can use for his glory. And this is our hope that comes in Christ. So I I, I can realize that I'm not defined any longer by my past when I am in Christ. The Bible says you're a new creation. Behold, all things become new. And so I can look at my life and say, okay, Lord, yeah, I made a lot of bad mistakes, I have to deal with some of the consequences of this, but those consequences don't have to define who I am in Christ anymore. The song we sang, that I am now a child of God. And God can actually use those for his purposes and his glory, no matter what you've done in your life. Say, I was this way, but God changed me. I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you. When I was talking with that guy and I just said, I'm not a good person. I've fallen short of God's perfection. He just looked at me like, but you know what happened at that moment? His ears opened up to hear the gospel. I think sometimes we place, I was going to actually get on the stool, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I, was, I thought about it for a minute, but I wouldn't fallen off. That would be fun. Um, we, we, we put ourselves up here and then we look down at the sinner. You know what Jesus did? He got down on his knees and served the sinner. And I think sometimes we look at the world as somebody that we have to judge and preach at. Where Jesus says, wow, what are you doing to serve the world and humble yourself? Do you realize when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, none of them was, all of them were going to scatter. In fact, the one would betray him in just a moment teaching them this is the heart of God, that you take on the apron of a servant and you learn to serve each other. I think when we humble ourselves that way, it protects us from the schemes of the enemy so that we don't think too highly of ourselves. And this is what happened to David's heart. David accepts the consequences of his actions, but here's the thing about David. Here's what he does. He doesn't stay there. God restores him. Now, he's still living with the consequence, those things in his mind, but God restores him. Look at 2 Samuel 12, verse 20. David, he's mourning. He's, he's at the, sad over the loss of the child. But here's what David does. It says, it says David got up from the ground, and after he had washed, he put on, put on lotions and changed his clothes, and then what he does is he goes into the house of the Lord and he worships. Then he went to his own house and he requested that they serve him food and he ate. What does David do? Through this, through this reaction, through his repentance, through the confrontation with Nathan, understanding what the consequences are. What does David do? He gets up and he worships God. He didn't remain in the condition of remorse. And some of you here today, you have taken some really hard falls in your personal life. But I want you to know that God is going to use you tremendously when you give those things to him. Maybe there was a huge fall in your marriage, a fall from addictions, but you bounced back. God says, I want you to bounce back from these things. I want you to realize that there's redemption in me. And this is how I restore you. And this is what Christ does for us. He redeems us back. He takes all our junk and then he turns it into his treasure. Jesus says, look what I can do with you. Messed up, dysfunctional. Look what I can do with you when you give your life to me. Let me just close with a story. It's such a good, vivid reminder of how God can redeem us. I knew this drug runner. I wasn't part of it, by the way, but I knew this drug runner. And um, like pastor, I'm learning a lot about you. And what he would do is he had a he was a captain of a boat, and he would run drugs in the Bahamas. And he could he knew how to slip through a lot of stuff, and he got in trouble. Blah 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 blah. Anyways, he was the son of a pastor, and he was just prodigal son. He just ran away from God, and he was running drugs in the Bahamas. And uh, the Lord grabbed his heart and repented and came to know Jesus. And on that same boat that he would use to run drugs, what he started doing was taking teenagers on missions trips. So he went from running drugs and peddling drugs to running the gospel all over the Bahamas. And we were on one of those trips with him. And his testimony was incredible. And I can remember telling him telling me, he was talk, talking to all the teens. He goes, if God can use an ex-drug runner that did bad things and he can redeem that, he goes, my boat is now used for God's glory and that's how God uses my life for his glory. What was meant for bad, God is using for good now. That's redemption. That's what God did with David and that's what God can do with your life when you allow God to confront you and you're open to the Lord and you confess those things. And so he wasn't, drug runner, ex-drug runner, wasn't shy about sharing that fault in his past because I think when we really understand our waywardness from God, we magnify the grace of God. See, if I think I'm good and I can do it myself, God's grace is about this big. But if I realize that I don't earn or merited God's salvation by anything I've done, all of a sudden God's grace is this enormous thing that I don't deserve it or earn it, yet God bestows it upon me and says, Barden, come to me and I will change you. And I'm going to use all your failures, all the things you've done, and I'm going to change it, redeem it, and use you now for my glory that you can be a testimony to someone else. That you can say, you know what? I was like that too. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did for me. It's not because I was a good person. It's just because of God's grace and he changed me. I'll tell you what, people's ears become wide open when you approach the gospel that way. When you humble yourself to that person, And you say, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes in my life. I used to be like that. I I get it. And here's what Jesus has done for me. People's, Listen, I I don't relate to everybody's success stories. I'm like, that's great. All these great things happen. And then you look at your life like, man, I'm such a failure. And sometimes you get that way when you go through Facebook, right? You're like, my life's terrible. My, My life is so perfect, right? It's easy to get that way. But I'll tell you what, when someone shares their faults, and their mess ups and how God's redeemed them, I'm all ears because I can relate now. Jesus came to restore your life. So where do you see your life today? Are you, are you, are you just hooked and chained to your past? Are your past regrets, are they a chain that keeps you moving forward in God God said there's going to be pain yes there will be pain in the confession because we're reminded of these things that we've done but God says I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to heal you and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to use those things for my glory will you give them to me to allow me to use let me just say this you can trust Jesus you can trust him with your life Whether the things that happened to you were right, wrong, or they were your choices, God takes all of them through his son, Jesus, and redeems them and uses it for his glory. And so I want want Christ healing to come into your life so that you can experience the joy that only Christ can give you through a life that's been forgiven. Um, In just a moment, we're going to sing a new song. I love this song. I heard it not too long ago. I said, Katie, we, we got to sing this song in church. I, I just, it's a new song, so it's gonna. I know every time we learn a new song, it's hard to, hard to, hard to uh, sing along with it, but we're, we're, we'll, we'll work through. But I just want you to look at the words and let it be your prayer today if that's where you are today. So let's pray and let's ask God just to touch our hearts today. And if there are things in your life that you know, God, you got to redeem this thing. Because I'm sick of holding on to it. It's just, it's killing me. And you've got to redeem it. Redeem it. You have to change my heart. So with, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just pray, pray with me? How many of you in this place would just say, Pastor Barden, that is where I am at today. I'm going to be dead honest with you today. That's where I'm at today. I've, I've got to allow God to redeem. I'm going to give this thing to the Lord today. As I sit in my seat, I'm going to, I'm going to give this thing to the Lord to redeem and my life today. Maybe it's your life, maybe it's some past thing, whatever, whatever it means. How many, just by the raised hand, say, Pastor, that, that is me today. And, and and I need God just to take that from my life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. Thank you for the example that we have in David, even after this horrendous sin, he still called the man after God's own heart. Thank you, God, that you set us up for a comeback in Christ Jesus, that our past and our failures do not have to define who we are in Christ and our future. We are a new creation. Our identity is not in those things, but our identity is now in Christ and what he's done for us. That is what the world is looking for. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us here today. And I just pray as we close and as we just sing this new song to you, Lord, let it, let it just... Let it just speak to our hearts and our lives about what you can do and how you can change lives. If there's anyone in here today who has never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I pray that they would do that. We thank you that your word is so simple. It says, anyone who comes to you, you will no wise cast out. That if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you'll save us, God. For it's our mouth we confess, it's with our hearts that we believe that Jesus is Lord. So if there's anyone here today, may they just make that profession of faith to you, even in their seats, God. I thank you that you hear us when we call out to you. So we pray that you would change us and that you would take our past and use it for your glory. Thank you for the example that we have in your word. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name alone.